2: Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. My co-host Larry Dersham and I are really going to mix it up on some very interesting issues tonight. Again, you know, it's, it's never a problem finding plenty to talk about. I would say the challenge is really sort of narrowing it down to, to what we think is the most interesting and, and the most important. And so for this week, we're going to start with Thursday night's speech by the president. Uh, this has been the subject of much conversation over the last several days, and uh, for all the choreography and strategy that went into it, um, it was billed as an optimistic message for the future. But it's interesting that people saw it through different lenses. There were some conservative viewers that thought it looked more like a scene out of Dante's Inferno with a, a blood-red background and the ominous rhetoric. And then there were some that thought it was, in fact, optimistic and uplifting. Um, There was actually some bipartisan consternation about being flanked by two Marines. But I got to tell you, Larry, sometimes evaluating and uh, really looking at these speeches after the fact, you really do get a good sense through the extent to which people view the same thing through a different political and personal lens.
0: You do. And I agree that the Red... Background, in my opinion, was ominous. Love the Marines, totally love them. They're the best in the world. But I thought in the context of his speech, it was threatening. In my uh, view, he said uh, MAGA Republicans, he accused them of being a threat to the very soul of the country. Now, that doesn't sound like a unifying speech to me. Basically, he's calling half of the... Uh, adults in the country, 75 million of us or so, uh, a threat to democracy, a threat to the country. And uh, that was not a healing speech. That was not an inspiring speech. The timing of it, just think of it. We're just about, uh, I don't know, 60 days out from election, a little bit more than that maybe. Uh, I, I think there was a purpose. And you've got to know, Wendy, that every single word, That he said was vetted multiple times. It was not an accident, although I've heard that they're trying to backpedal some of the things he said today. And uh, that's my take on it. It was not a, a, a very healing. It did not give us comfort, I don't think, to hear that.
2: So, Larry, politics aside, one of the things I very much enjoy doing, and anybody that knows me uh, recognizes this, is I I like sort of analyzing rhetoric. I like to see what works, what doesn't work. I like to see what's persuasive, what isn't. You know, being a career trial attorney, I look at a speech like this and think, how did that make you feel? Like if this was a trial and, and the jury listened to that speech, how would they feel about one side versus the other, and why would they feel that way? I mean, would they leave this speech feeling encouraged inspired um just you know ready to take on the world hopeful for a better future and if the answer is no why not you know one of the things that the president really played up during his campaign was his empathy was the fact that he has personally suffered loss the loss of his son being the the one that comes to mind most readily but he has you know he's actually had Um, many points in common with many viewers, with many voters. And I've always thought it would be great for him to use that because it's common ground uh, uh, that he can use to connect with many of the voters. To spend the amount of time he did simply criticizing a, a broad swath of voters on the other side maybe wasn't the best use of time. Here's one example, Larry. So there are lots of conservative voters that may not be Donald Trump fans, and they would certainly never call themselves MAGA forces, but they're conservative in terms of the way they vote, in their personal beliefs. Um, they believe in lower taxes, and they probably thought of the last administration as one where they had money in their pocket. So they, they're focused on both health and wealth. They also care about safe schools, safe communities, um, secure borders, health care, education. And dare I say those are democratic values also everybody wants safe schools for our kids everybody wants a thriving economy everybody cares about protecting our precious young people so there are so many bipartisan values that could be stressed and could be really uplifted in this kind of a speech you wonder whether or not it was simply you know an end of the summer speech or was it a campaign rally
0: it was in prime time. Uh, there was a purpose for it. He went to Philadelphia, kind of the birthplace of the United States. And again, with that ominous red background, it looked like something out of 1930s Germany, actually, with those soldiers in the yeah. background. That's just my opinion, of course. Um I just think it was, again, it was not unifying. And here we've got this guy who has had a lot of personal tragedy in his life. And I totally emphasize with that. But uh, he's also remember, he was the head of the Judiciary Committee. I'm talking about Biden. Uh, When they tried the the, uh, Justice Bork, they just tore him to pieces. They, They actually have a verb that said that. He's been borked, kicked off. He he didn't make it to the Supreme Court. And then what they did to Clarence Thomas. Again, Joe Biden was the head of the Judiciary Committee doing all the interviews of these people. And Clarence Thomas just barely made it. But he was put through a lot of uh, difficulty and uh, intimidation to get to the position he was in. And uh, so I I just worry about... uh, Biden, his age, I, I, I think, again, this is totally my opinion, it doesn't represent you, Wendy, or the station. I think he's beyond his uh, abilities as far as his uh, mental state. And also, I don't think he's his own man. I, a lot of people think he's basically people are telling him what to say, where to stand, where to move, where to do something. And that's worrisome for the entire country, if not the world itself.
2: You know, because I'm the silver lining, I will say that I did find it encouraging that he talked about us being made in the image of God. And, you know, he professes to be a, he, you know, he, he's a, we know he's a Christian and he also talks about um his faith and that could have been more of a part of the speech. You know, it's it's tough to be a politician because anything you say or do is just ripped apart yeah. by by abundance you know, and and uh and friends, family, followers. I mean, just so many people sort of weigh in. One thing I did find significant. I'll, I'll uh, give a couple positives here, just because it's fun to play devil's advocate. Um, but again, it's also funny. I'm using that analogy given what some people are saying about the choice of background. But um, it probably was. Uh, it did it probably did not escape notice that he did appear to be fairly articulate. He had a brief coughing fit at the beginning. Okay, lots of people have get you know dry mouth when they're speaking. So that doesn't necessarily mean the end is near, but he really did manage to speak well. What I think uh, might've done him in a little bit in terms of the ratings is the screen catchers that appeared uh, to really go viral among really people on both sides of the political aisle showed him with clenched fists, um, looking very angry against that blood red ominous background. And that wasn't what he wanted to convey. I mean, According to both he and his press secretary, this was supposed to be a unifying message. Although, Larry, sort of look at, think about that in contrast with the title of the speech, Battle for the Soul of America. That sort of seems like the choreography was geared more towards that theme. But what could have been? I mean, here he is in, you know, the seat of liberty. It could have been a white background with with red and blue sort of popping of color on the sides. And, you know, he could have worn something that was brighter. And I mean everything could have been done very differently. But sometimes we learn through trial and error politically what does and doesn't work. And optics matter when it comes to a speech. I mean, we learned this back when it was the Nixon-Kennedy debate. Remember right. that? I Nixon do. Looked, his eyes were shifting around and and JFK was just, cool as a cucumber with that yes. and I mean, you know, we, we've known forever that it is what you say, because there certainly were a lot of people driving and listening to this on their car, uh, and listening on their car radio, but it also matters the way you say it and how it looks. And I'll say that that was particularly, that's particularly relevant in the world in which we live because although only two networks broadcast this live, that was CNN and MSNBC, everybody uh, ran the highlights on every other station and online. So you can't get away from those optics even if you didn't watch it live.
0: That's right. And you know, Wendy, just so everybody knows, I mean, I love a two-party system. I couldn't even imagine a one-party system where even Republicans, I'm conservative, would be in charge because they would become corrupt. So the two-party system is what we want to have. I just think that currently, the Democratic Party more than, and there's a lot of losers in the Republican Party, but the Democratic Party has been in infiltrated by socialists and I dare even call them communists that want to transform. Have you ever heard that word? They want to transform America. They don't like our constitution. So I would just say people on both sides and, you know, I play in a a band, you know, that I've got uh, liberals or they're not leftists They're liberals uh, lifelong and we get along totally fine. So let's People of America yeah. continue to get along totally fine. We will get past this period of these people that want to disrupt us. And I think he's part of that, or at least he's the people that are controlling him are part of that. And we just don't want to go down right. that road.
2: One of the things he said that people really have taken aim at, he talked about MAGA Republicans have made their choice. And this is a quote. He said, they embrace anger. They thrive on chaos. They live not in the light of truth, but in the shadow of lies, uh, unquote. You know, it sounds like he's describing the Joker and Batman, But this is this is probably um, not his best moment. But you know what, Larry, if he plays up his strengths, I'm sure he can come back from it. I'm sure he would love to unify the country. I'm sure he does want to do that. So um, I'm going to always end it giving I give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And I know that there's more that unites us than divides us. But don't touch that doubt, folks, because you're going to have more interesting conversation. So Larry and I were uh, talking about, well, gosh, you know, what's the other hot topic for the week? And, you know, you can never narrow it down. But there is a topic that has been consistently grabbing headlines over the course of the last several weeks, the whole month of August, actually, and now we're into September. And that is the Mar-a-Lago raid. And part of the fascination that I think the public has with that is it's just such a novel set of facts in terms of, I mean, obviously, it's unprecedented to have an, an ex-president have a, um, his house searched. But it's also interesting legally. And, you know, even people that don't play lawyers on TV and certainly don't play lawyers in real life, even they're interested in some of the legalities that are being discussed in court. And, of course, this week there was a hearing on whether or not a judge felt that a special master should be appointed. And, of course, that's often a lawyer, oftentimes an ex-judge that goes and sort of does an independent review of the material that was seized in order to separate out anything that is um, lawyer-client privilege, executive privilege. And I think it's interesting here in this case that remember that the the FBI already had its own sort of internal taint team, um, agents that were looking for attorney-client privilege information. Of course, they did find some separating that out so it wouldn't be considered. But remember that over the course of the last couple of weeks, the former president and his team we're claiming executive privilege, very different. Um, and be that as it may, regardless of privilege issues, there's the the larger issue of, well, I'll say issues plural, uh, because we've got everything from concealment, commingling and classification at issue in the things that were seized during that raid. And Larry, I want to start with that photograph that was circulated this week of it was a number of documents, much of which were labeled confidential, top secret, etc. And then, of course, there was that Time magazine cover of of some of the president's um, contenders. But, you know, in in terms of the staging involved in any time there's anything that is um, acquired in this kind of a search, were you surprised that that was something that was shown, shared with the media and that it got so much attention?
0: I think the history of the Department of Justice is just a a long series um, of leaks uh, of recent years. And to me, that's very disappointing. I don't know how you feel as a trial attorney. You would know much more about that than I would. But I just think it's inappropriate. They say they've got something on this guy. So they're they're putting these uh, photos. uh, It was down on the floor taking photos of the documents they supposedly found. Uh, I I didn't like that. How how would that help? And then all that Trump wants to do, his team is appoint a special master, and the Justice Department. If they were really fair, why are they fighting that? Well, they just use that generic term. It could be harmful to national security if we have a special master. Why? Why would that be harmful to special uh, to national security? And uh, the- well, it's
2: interesting that you bring that up, Larry, because there have been some that have speculated. That this, will, that this was a delay tactic, that it'll just uh, stop the process. And, of course, um, the process should continue. But here's the other side of that. I mean, it's so much fun, too, lawyers. We can always talk about both sides of everything. The other side of that is this. We're like, what, 60-some-odd days out from the election. Now, true, the former president is not on the ballot, that I call him the shadow candidate. He kind of is. Because his endorsement is weighty, his influence is strong, um, and has been proven throughout some of the primaries. So regardless of whether or not his name is there, do they really want to ramp up a potential investigation that might lead to some kind of an indictment right before the midterms? And if we drag it out, are they going to run out the clock to where a potential indictment is right before the 2024 election? If, in fact as he has indicated he is prone to do, he tosses his hat into the ring. So let's talk politically. Um, Legally, obviously, there are many issues that we could discuss. But politically, I think, is really where the the public is weighing in because we call it the optics of politics for a reason, don't we?
0: We do. And did you know, Okay, the raid happened on August 8th, 2022. That was, uh, I believe, a Monday and i did a calculation you can get these uh, duration calendars on the internet for free and you put in august 8th 2022 and then the election on november 8th 2022 that's 62 um was that 62 days in yeah, 92 days excuse me 92 days out and the fbi has a policy that they do not like to do any big move uh Within within ninety days of an election, so they were just two days ahead of time. It's so well planned, in my opinion. The coordination to to basically to, to make look bad the the Trump people, the, the the candidates that he supports. So I thought there was there was kind of a method to that madness uh, when they actually staged it on August eighth. And then the big question that you you mentioned, Wendy, is the indictment. I think they're going to try to bring up something like the Espionage Act. Who knows what? There's and there's a little bit of these administrative uh, uh, laws that p- perhaps he, they will allege that he broke. But you know, he didn't pack up those um, documents when he left his office. He had uh, a whole team of my, people, right?
2: You read my mind, Larry. That's exactly where I was going to go with this. Is Can you just see Donald Trump in his office meticulously packing boxes? I mean, this is, this is a man that admittedly didn't like to read. Remember what some of his handlers said is he would only read a page. (laughs) (laughs) So this is somebody who probably was negotiating, was, you know, making financial deals. He was swinging a golf club. I can't imagine him. In the oval office meticulously packing boxes that doesn't mean to say he didn't know that the national archives was trying to get these boxes back we know that's true because he was present when they came to retrieve some of the boxes during the course of this timeline between the time the national archives originally started to try to retrieve them and the time of the raid but this is different than an overdue library book so the national archives says you know they're you know you're they're on loan they were on loan to you they belong here and of course the president's famous legal argument as to why he still had that information remember what he said they're mine now that's not a legal argument but it goes to show intent and that's an issue anytime you charge a crime you need mens rea and actus reus so in other words you need the action you also need wrongful intent that has plagued Investigators on a variety of different levels over the course of uh, Donald Trump's presidency, and it continues till today. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. But let's let's stay on your very interesting issue of uh, third-party culpability. There is nothing, and there was nothing um, necessarily in the affidavit, as we know, or in the warrant that really targeted uh, Donald Trump as the focus, and especially not as the sole focus of this investigation. I mean, could they be looking at somebody else? Maybe somebody that who packed those. Boxes or who, who necessarily knew what
0: was in them. I don't think they will, Wendy, because they're after Trump. To me, I, I forgive me for being cynical on this, but on June third, June third, I'm going to wind it back a couple of months. Uh, they had a subpoena. They went into his Mar-a-Lago estate, and they took a lot of boxes out of there. He was totally cooperating with the um, the National Archives and so forth. So, I, again, I I look at this uh, is this as going after Trump personally. And if you wouldn't mind me, I'm going to kind of switch into another topic here. Uh, I, I owe this to, uh, I saw a tweet by Benny Johnson. I think he's a kind of a conservative talk show guy, maybe on Newsmax and so forth. And he tweeted this thing. And I hate to do this on a Saturday night because I know everybody's like party time and happiness and so forth. It's a little bit heavy, but I want you to hear this. Why?
2: Less than a minute. Yeah, it's just so you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Why is the Dutch government, a guy called Mark Ruda, he's the prime minister, completely owned by the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab. Why has he just announced that the Netherlands, the second biggest exporter of food in the entire world, Why is he targeting farmers to destroy them and get them off the land, which is where all these farmer protests in the Netherlands are coming from? And, folks, you can look this up on the Internet. They're having huge protests by the farmers in the Netherlands at a time of food shortages and supply chain problems. You're targeting the second biggest exporter of food in the bloody world to destroy its farming base. Why are you doing that? Well, if people depend on you for what's left of the food, you control them. Where food is abundant and cheap, you do not control them. Where energy is cheap and abundant, you do not control the people. Scarcity equals dependency, equals control. And that's why they're targeting the food chain. They're targeting the energy supply. They're targeting everything including your guns of course so it's it's a pretty tough uh, little scenario there but it's it's actually happening folks and you can check this out on your own if you have friends in the netherlands or you just go to the internet and you'll find out this is actually happening so we need to be on yeah. guard
2: yeah i'm going to actually use that as a segue to sort of bring us um ending on a high note because you know this is labor day weekend and yes. some of the hardest laborers that exist are those that are in our fields that are uh, helping to gather the food that keeps the rest of us alive. So, maybe a shout out to everybody working in that agriculture industry. I mean, what a blessing hey, that we do have that hard work. That puts food on our table. And of course, um, we are just hopeful that we will continue to be able to afford some of the way that that is prepared. You know, we've all seen, we all drive and dine. We're all in the same boat buying gas and groceries and all the rest of it. And so I just want to celebrate on Labor Day, really the hard work so many people um, put into making this world a better place. How's that for a silver lining at the end of the, a fairly heavy show? 100% so that, good. We wish all of our listeners a wonderful Labor Day weekend. I hope you are relaxing and enjoying uh, the abundance that we do have in America. So God bless all of you. Thank you for joining us on this Saturday night. And we look forward to seeing you back here next Saturday.